otherwise on SAFM. Thanks so much, Sandy, and I, I can't quite imagine that, and perhaps some people have a little bit too much time on their hands. But hey, we'll see. Um, right now, though, it's otherwise, and we're talking women, and the team with me in the studio today is Hazel McAzeny, Derek Fordyce, and I'm Kim Winter, standing in for Nancy Richards. Well, in today's lineup, first up, our otherwise mole chats to us about what's up woman-wise in her part of the country. And today, we're heading up to the Eastern Cape with journalist Masanda Peter. After that, why the support of female friends, family members and colleagues can change your life. One Woman's Vision has inspired so many others, young and old. And we cross to founder of Vision for Women in the Eastern Cape to hear her story. And in the other half, Women Object Corpse is the title of a group exhibition at the Center for African Studies Gallery, UCT. And it's a collective expression of female artists across the globe against gender-based violence and incorporates different mediums and interactions in response to the position women inhabit in society today and the ongoing violence experienced on such a horrific scale. So that's the agenda today. Stay with us. I'm Tiers Ngamuni. It was 16 years ago that my father started working at Total as a forecourt attendant. Growing up, there wasn't a man I admired more. In 2009, Total awarded the bursary that helped me get my degree in economics. Today, I'm following in his footsteps working as an intern at Total. They're helping me reach my full potential and that's why I'm proud to be part of Total achieving level 2 BEE status. Tiers, we couldn't be prouder of you. Total. The journey of transformation continues. Join me, Debbie Edelstein, at the 8th We Are the Leaders We've Been Waiting For Women's Leadership Conference on the 22nd and 23rd of May. Each year, the Women's Leadership Conference asks powerful leaders to share their leadership secrets with women who want to fast-track their path from good managers to great leaders. For more information on the Women's Leadership Conference, call Lizzie on 011-880-9749 or visit qualitylife.coza. Because when women connect, the world changes. Jazz is back in town, and you never know what you're going to get at the Standard Bank Grahamstown Jazz Festival. But hey, that's jazz for you. Experience the magic of Steve Turo, Vusi Makhlasela, Jonas Gwangwa, Mikasa, Shane Cooper, Barney Rakabane, Soweto String Quartet, and many more. That's the 27th June to the 6th July. Book now at Compu Tickets, Standard Bank, moving forward. Otherwise, on SAFM. Well, starting off today with what's up for women around the country with an otherwise mole. And don't forget, if you'd like to be a mole for us, a woman's news hound in your part of the country, let us know. Otherwise, at safm.co.za is our email address. Or you can send us a message on Facebook on our Facebook page, which is otherwise on SAFM. But for today, our mole is Masanda Peter, and she is a single mother. She's passionate about parenting and likes to focus on hard-hitting issues around parenting. And she's a marketing professional and a freelance writer. She's based in Johannesburg, but she features stories about women in the Eastern Cape. Uh, she also writes for uh, Move and for Parent24, among other things. And we have her on the line. Hi, Masanda. Masanda, are you there? Uh, I think we might have uh, lost Masanda. Oh dear, we're going to try and get her back. Uh, if you didn't catch that first bit, we're talking to Masanda because she is a single mother and she's a journalist. Uh, she writes for Move and Parent 24. And we thought we would get her on the show today because 
we like to connect with what we call otherwise moles, and that's women in different parts of the country who know what's going on, have their pulse, uh, their finger on the pulse of women's issues, women's events, anything to do with women. And as I said, if you would like to be a mole for us, uh, that's a woman's news hound in your part of the country, and that's really anywhere from small town to, to big city, let us know. Our email address is otherwise at safm.co.za, or you can send us a message on our Facebook page, that's otherwise on SAFM. And it just so happens that after Masanda, we're speaking to, an, as part of our My Story series, we're speaking to a businesswoman who values the guidance and influence of family, and in particular the support of women in one's life. She started something called uh, Vision for Women, and actually Masanda wrote a beautiful article on her in the latest uh, move, so if you want to check that out, you can. But we'll be speaking to her after Masanda, and I believe we have Masanda back on the line. Hi, Masanda. Hello, hi, how are you? I'm great, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Right, so as I was saying, we got in touch with you because you seem to have your finger on the pulse of what's happening, and especially when it comes to women. So what can you tell us about the Eastern Cape, Masanda? Um, the Eastern Cape, uh, it's a beautiful uh, region or province, and there's so much that is happening um, in the Eastern Cape. And um, in my articles, I tend to focus on the, on the province because I've realized that sometimes we tend to think that all the good things are happening in Jobek. You often hear people saying, mm. I want to make my dreams come true, therefore I'll go to Johannesburg or I'll go to uh, any other province besides the Eastern Cape. And I've, I've gone back to tap into the potential that is in the Eastern Cape. And I've met the women that you've mentioned, like Nosi, Nos Noyo, and I've met women like Mrs. Kashe, a whole lot of women who are really doing great things for themselves and for their communities. And the one thing that I can say about them is that um, there's so much drive and uh, they are very determined to do great things for themselves. Is your hometown Eastern Cape? Oh, yes, in the Eastern Cape, Mtata, but a, a, a pain location. Okay, I see. And so you moved to Johannesburg, but you still believe in keeping your ties to, to the Eastern Cape? Yes, very important because we don't, you know, at some point, actually I just observed something. A few of my friends have been going back to the Eastern Cape because they want to plow back and the, 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 the talent or the skill that they've acquired um, in the different town, towns where they are besides the Eastern Cape, they want to now go back and invest those talents back in the province. And there's so much really that is happening. But I just think that um, we maybe need the right people to sell the town um, or, or the province the right way. But there is so much that is happening, and I do believe that um, we do need to, at some point, we're actually going to see an exodus of people leaving your Johannesburg, your Cape Towns, going back to the Eastern Cape, making sure that the good things are happening. Because, for instance, if you look at uh, a woman like Nos Pongoy, the work that she's doing, Mm-hmm. Um, if she was in Johannesburg, who would have been doing what she is doing in, in, in that province? And we really need to, to, to celebrate and, and recognize the talent that is in the province and what women are doing as well because they are, um, I mean, it's, it's women, it's, it's business women, it's single women, it's married women. If they are not, stu- if it's a single woman, if they are not studying, they are starting their own businesses, they, they just do making things happen for themselves and they're not just sitting there and waiting for something to happen, they are making it happen. Mm. We're speaking to Norsi um, straight after you, but who else, what other story has stood out for you in terms of your um, your investigation of, of the Eastern Cape? 
Um, it's a, I spoke to a lady by the name of uh, Maria Nyawula. She's based in, the, in, in Queenstown. And this is a lady who started from nothing. Nothing. And even when she started her BNB, she's got a four-star establishment in Queenstown. And the history of the establishment itself is actually something remarkable because um, in her establishment, uh, Queen Elizabeth, that establishment way back in the in the in the, in the early 90s as you know in the 1800s and it's really there's so much history about the place and she has made it happen for herself she's telling herself that whatever happened because i attempt uh, the article from rex to riches she started from nothing and she's just making it happen for herself and to have somebody who like her, who now has a four-star establishment, is quite an achievement, and she's being celebrated. And recently, she won the World uh, Luxury Hotel in the BNB um, category. So those are the women that we don't really hear of them every day, but they are women who are doing wonderful and remarkable things. And we go to the small towns. You know, we tend to focus on on, on women in the big towns. You go to Queenstown, you go to Mtata, you go to Nob, you know, all these small towns, and you'll find that there are women who are doing great things, and they deserve to be uh, celebrated. In that. And I actually I commend a publication like Move Magazine who allows me to, to, to give these women a platform as well. Mm, and I think that's why we wanted to have an otherwise mold uh, for this show as well, so that we can connect with, with those stories and the women that we don't really get to hear about but are doing amazing things. Ms. Yes. Where, where can people um, access your articles? Move? Yeah? Um, they can, um, it's Move Magazine, and they also can um, go on to www.parent24.com, and then they can look for Masanda Peter, or they can come on to Facebook, they connect with me, but really in the social space, that's where you'll get me. And there's just so much to share, and I think as women, we need such forums, and I commend you guys for creating such a platform. We need such forums where we connect, we motivate each other, and just make sure that things are happening. There's no time to sit down and relax now. We need to go out there and make it happen. Absolutely, and I think we would love to hear the stories from Eastern Cape or from wherever else, so if anybody would like to drop us a line, it's otherwise at SAFM. Masanda, thank you so much for joining us today and giving us a little bit of inspiration from the Eastern Cape. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Keep well. Thank Thanks. you. Bye. That was Masanda Peters. She was sharing the latest on women in her neck of the woods, which is uh, what she likes to cover, and it's her hometown. That's the Eastern Cape. And as I said, if you'd like to be a mole for us, if you have any fantastic stories of women doing things in and around South Africa, you want to be a woman's news hound in your part of the country, let us know. That's otherwise at safm.co.za. Or send us a message on our Facebook page. That's otherwise on SAFM. If you're a regular listener to Time to Travel on SAFM on Wednesday evenings just after 9, you'll know that I always encourage you to become tourists in your own town or city. Now, what I'd like you to do is to take a moment and think about something unusual or different that you'd like to share, something you'd like to highlight that makes your town or city so special, something you wouldn't hesitate to recommend to a tourist to your area. Then send me an email to travel at safm.co.za or post something on the Facebook page, Travel on SAFM. As soon as I have a good selection, I'd like to start a feature on the show called My Town and who knows, I may even call you up and invite you to tell the listeners all about it Time to Travel with Karen Key Otherwise on SAFM 
Well, next, another in our My Story series. And we spoke there with Masanda Peter. She was our mole. And she'd actually written uh, an article on Nosi Ngoyo. She's a businesswoman who values the guidance and influence of family, and in particular the sport of women in one's life. She's determined to inspire and work with other women to pursue their own visions. Nosi started a skills training company called Vision for Women in 2004, and she works to empower not only the women in the Western Cape, but across South Africa. Hi, Nosi. Hi, Kim. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Well, let's start at the beginning, shall we? You were inspired to start your own thing, and, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But why did you choose to focus on women with your Vision for Women company? All right. I am a woman myself. I was raised by my mother, my grandmother, and many other aunts around me. So growing up, I had a lot of influence from women, and I've seen the strength that women have. So I wanted to do something to motivate them to go out there and make a difference. Okay. And in terms of visualizing um, what you wanted to do with the company, in what are the unique issues facing women in the Eastern Cape that you wanted to perhaps uh, face, confront, solve? All right. As you've mentioned before, that my company does skills development. I am more focused on um, if you work like an enterprise development I have worked for a number of companies, training SMMEs and cooperatives, and in my line of work, I have actually seen the difference in terms of how women do business and how men do business. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, you would get a man and a woman with the same skill, but when they go out there, men will be more successful in the practicality of running the business in terms of making sales and all that. Mm. So I thought that there needs to be something done for women who are in the workplace to be motivated to climb up the corporate ladder. So okay. hence we started Vision for Women. Okay, and tell us a little bit more about Vision for Women. Basically, it's, it's, it's networks. I've created a platform for women to network um, to, so that we can actually encourage women to take, take charge and excel in the marketplace and also to maximize their God-given potential. Uh, we have targeted entrepreneurs, women entrepreneurs, career women, women community leaders, and those who aspire to make inroads in business. Uh, we also offer life skills and, and mentorship to business women. And in our networks, uh, in our Vision Forward networks, we showcase local talent and skill by creating a platform for women to learn and support each other. For instance, if you're running a business, we will actually set up stalls for those women to, to showcase what they do to other women while in the network. Okay, so you work with women who are already um, in their careers and they're achieving. Do you also work with women who are just starting out or young women that have just left school? Yes, it's those women that I'm talking about that aspire to make inroads in business. For instance, in our networks, there have been women who want to start businesses, and when they get to those networks and they hear the success stories of other women who share in the platforms, they get motivated to start. And also, there are women who would go to the networks and are not in the, in the, in the employment market. When they get there, they will find maybe people who are working in HR who commend to them that they must apply for certain jobs in their institutions. By so doing, Vision for Women, that platform has created, we have actually created a platform where women have started businesses and also found work employment. Also, we support grade 12 learners in high schools because we believe that in our network we have successful women that can go back and, and plow and plant to their societies. So we are supporting high school girls through a mentorship program. Mm -hmm. 
did you have that kind of support when you when you left school? Was there was there a mentor in your life, uh, family? How did you get the confidence to to build the career that you have? All right, my dad uh, is a, a businessman. Uh, post Mali, he ever since you know as a child, I've watched him uh, running his own business. So he's basically been a role model. But I've never had uh, or seen a woman that was successful as my father who was running a business. So I never had personal mentors in my life. So I thought it is good for us as women who are upcoming business women to go back and, 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 and do something for the next generation. Mm, absolutely. You said also that you've, you've noticed the difference between men and women when it comes to business and that men seem to be a little bit more practical. What do you think, this, what do you think the skills are with, with women and, and how do you work to address that uh, basically, Kim, uh, it, what I've actually noticed, women have got the hard skills. They would have like a qualification, uh, like men out there. But it's, it, it's, it goes back to me on the soft skills, you know, things like being assertive, things like being confident, you know, things like um, a, a, a visualizing what you want and being able to articulate what you're looking for in life. So those are the skills that we are focusing on in Vision for Women. How to network when you go to those networks. What is your objective? How can you derive value from, from networking sessions? Mm-hmm. And also, how do you derive value from other women where, where, whereby you go and ask for help if you need help? Mm-hmm. So it goes beyond your hard skills, but it goes to the soft skills. And in your journey and your building your career and, and ending up with your vision for women, what were the challenges for you? Um, the challenges for me was basically um, access to markets mm. um, because of lack of experience when I started. Um, my business did not really need funding. So I have actually, I was working before, so I have actually used my savings to start my business because the nature of my business did not really need, uh, uh, you know, um, capital that much. So my my challenges were basically how do I take my vision out there? How do I get, uh, you know, business? How do I get sales? How do I make sales? How do I enter the market? But there were women that actually helped me in the process to, to do that. Okay. And were there any challenges that occurred that were specifically because you were a woman building this business? I'm sorry? Were there any challenges that you came across along the way building your business that were specific to you being a woman? Yes, um, being undermined because I'm, I'm a woman. I started my business when I was 27. Uh, I'm young. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm undermined because uh, I am a woman. And sometimes when you are in boardrooms, you will know <laughs> uh, you will be expected maybe if there's coffee to bring coffee to, to people, to men mm-hmm. in, around the table, things like that. Yes. But if you are actually assertive, you are able to put a stop in that, and men tend to respect you. And working with young women in South Africa these days, I mean, have you seen much of a change when it comes to those kinds of challenges? Um, no, that's why we started Vision for Women. Uh, but it's beginning to we're beginning to see forth the fruits of what we are doing. Basically, what we do with these grade twelve girls, even though they get you know the academic from school, but we we go back to to being assertive. We talk about uh, having self confidence, having a vision. So now I'm actually beginning to see young women that are coming, the generation that's coming behind us. They are beginning to be confident from a young age. They don't have to wait until they are 27 and starting their businesses to be able to stand up for themselves. 
Okay, so you focus on, on building confidence as a key. Yes. Okay. And I believe you've, uh, sp- the academy that you've started also falls yes. under for Vision 4? Vision for Women, yes, the mentorship program. Okay, that's the mentorship program. And I believe you've also started an award ceremony. Yes, we, we call the award ceremony Beyond the Balance Sheet Awards. Okay. And can you tell us a little bit more about that? All right. Basically, uh, we are living in a competitive business world where people are led by bottom line pressures, which often lead to prioritizing profits over principles. So we started a Vision for Women Awards, which are called the Beyond the Balance Sheet, in recognition and celebration of women who have actually expanded their definition of success from making money to making a difference. Mm-hmm. So in these awards, we pay tribute to business women whose organizations, you know, promote people-centered development through projects that enlist the capacities of their communities. Uh, we do these events. We have different categories. Uh, basically, we choose, if, for instance, you are an SMME, as, an, as, as a small, medium, and, and micro enterprise, what are you doing over and above making money to support your community? So those are the types of women that we, 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 we award in Beyond the Balance Sheet. So, so giving back to, to society. And, yes. and, and can you maybe mention one or two of these women or organizations that have stood out for you recently? All right. The we, people that stood out for me, there is a woman, Lele Tuma She won our arts and culture category. She's very young. She's a poet. She's also from PE and doing very well for herself. By profession, she's a lawyer, but she's done so much for young girls in arts and culture, raising them, teaching them about the value of, 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 of arts and culture. So those are the types of women. And also there's another woman that also stood out for me, uh, Mrs. Majola. She's eight years old. You know, I wow. think she was a teacher back in the day, but she's running an NGO where she's actually assisting the elderly, being an elderly woman herself. She's doing, you know, projects where she entertains the elderly because most of them, they don't have kids. They are taking care of their grandchildren mm-hmm. and they are suffering a lot in their old age. So she's giving them something that will make them happy as old people. So she gave an award in the NGO category. And do you only focus, focus on the Eastern Cape? Uh, from now, because we're trying to, 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 to take one bite at a time, but our vision goes beyond the Eastern Cape. It goes, to, it goes across South Africa, even to, to different parts of the world, whereby we're taking a brand from the Eastern Cape uh, nationally and internationally. Mm, fantastic. And, and what has been the response so far? Have you, have you made some inroads into the international scene? Yes, uh, we have. I, I, we have people that we call ambassadors, vision for ambassadors. I've got one uh, in, 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 in Washington D.C. She's a South African who married an American. She's very passionate about what we do. She's also coming from the Eastern Cape. So we are planning to have a conference uh, in, in Washington, uh, maybe next year. But we are planning to have vision for women, especially for South Africans that are staying in Washington, to say this is what we do in South Africa. Instead of us waiting for, you know, for the internationals or the Americans to bring something to us, we are bringing something to them. Fantastic. Jeepers, it sounds like you are very busy. Nosi, how do you balance family and work life, just lastly? 
Yeah, I have a very supportive husband, mm-hmm. producer. Uh, he's also uh, running his own company, so he understands the dynamics of being in business. Mm-hmm. So he's very supportive. My kids, I've got two boys, Kama and Papama, ages 10 and 13. They also, you know, when you, when you, because I started the business very, very young, so you, you tend to, the, the kids tend to know what you're doing. So they're very supportive and they understand what mommy and dad are doing. And also I've got extended family, my dad, my sisters and my in-laws and also friends around me who pray and support me. Mm-hmm. Family is so important and so are friends as you say. So how can people find out more about Vision for Women, Norsi? All right, we've got a website, www.vision4.co.za, and also we've got a a group on Facebook, Vision for Women, so people can actually uh, get invited in in, in the group or they can actually contact us also in in our landline or maybe on the website they can see what we're doing. Fantastic, and we'll put all that information up on our Facebook page as well. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Norsi. Thank you so much, Kim. Right. And best of luck. Yeah. Ciao. Uh, uh, all right. Well, that was Nosi Noyo. She's founder of Vision for Women. And if you'd like more information, that's www.vision4, the number four. So that's www.vision4.co.za. And still to come after the news headlines, Women Object Corpse. It's the title of an exhibition featuring South African and international female artists talking to the issue of violence against women. But right now, it's gone 1.30, and it's time for the news headlines with the Sunder. Thank you, Kim. Good afternoon. A Tromsberg man has been sentenced to two life imprisonment terms by the Bloemfontein High Court for killing a Free State farmer and his wife. In addition to the two life terms, Judge Van Hanker sentenced Moiketsi Sasa to a further 15 years. The country hopes to know in about an hour's time whether the crippling nationwide bus strike will be resolved. This is the bargaining council's deadline for the two parties to respond to the offers on the table. And there has been a big explosion in the center of the Syrian capital, Damascus, a day after the Prime Minister, Wael al-Halki, survived a car bomb attack. For SAFM News, I'm Asanda Matsawunyane. Details at 2. Back to you, Kim. Thanks so much, Asanda. Well, now we cross to Natalie Germanis for an update on the Soweto Open Tennis. Hi, Natalie. Hi there, Kim. Thank you very much. And at the moment on centre court, Ron Rulofsa is locked down in a tight battle with the number two seed, Roger Rum. Rulofsa took the first set in a tiebreaker, 7-4. There was no breaks to serve in that first set and went down to the tiebreaker. And eventually, Rulofsa held his nerve to take that tiebreaker and go one set to love up. But Roger Rum is using his experience and he's come back strongly to take the second set, 6-3. And there was two breaks of serve there for Roger Rum as well, which gave him that set, 6-3. It's now 1-1 into the third set which has just started and that will be the final set so a tough battle for the South African Rulofsa and the number two seed Rajiv Ram also on court at the moment on court number two South Africa's Taka Foster who is a wild card into the tournament is up against Marcello de Molina of Brazil Takafasa took the first set 6-4 and at the moment it's going on serve in the second set with Demolina leading 2-1. Earlier on we saw South Africa's Keith Patrick Crowley being knocked out by André Gemma of Brazil. He was knocked out in straight sets 6-4 and 7-5. Later on tonight, Rick Defust and Marcello Demolina will pair up for the doubles on centre court and they are the number one seed and they'll be facing the South African pairing of Francois Kellerman and Orki Kellerman. Natalie Jamanis for SFM Sport. 
Hi, my name is Tolani Gwala. I'm a Shake the World ambassador. I'm really excited about this campaign because it raises substantive issues affecting us as society. If we were to get our leaders to commit to the Millennium Development Goals, we'd go a very long way towards dealing with some of the most fundamental problems facing us. Goal number one, eradicating poverty and hunger, is the closest to my heart simply because for me and millions of other South Africans, this is not academic, this is an everyday reality. I therefore pledge to work with anyone who can help in any way eradicate this problem. And this is how I'm shaking the world. How do you shake the world? This is SAFM. Otherwise, on SAFM. Well, thanks so much to Natalie Germanis there for the crossing to the Soweto Open Tennis. And we'll have another update from Natalie tomorrow. Well, finally here on Otherwise, there's been a recent resurgence in both public debate and media attention when it comes to violence against women in South Africa and internationally. But gender-based violence has and continues to be an ongoing battle. And now more than ever, out of this momentum, action really does need to take place. A group exhibition titled Women Object Corpse opened at the gallery on UCT's upper campus on the 24th of April, and it runs to the 9th of May. The curator, and she's also the manager of the Center for African Studies Gallery at UCT, Meghna Singh, is with me in studio today. Hi, Meghna. Hi, Kim. Welcome. Right, so the title of the exhibition, Women Object Corpse, it's many layers, it's quite powerful and it's hugely topical as I mentioned there as well. Talk us through the conceptual phase of the exhibition. Uh, I recently moved to South Africa, Cape Town in January. I'm uh, from India, I'm from Delhi and back home in India in November and December I think it became international news uh, about the rape of the young student and uh, I think what happened in India hadn't happened before. We saw a new wave of unprecedented public dialogue and protests and people coming out on the streets. So I was a part of that and I came, I moved to Cape Town to do my PhD in January and it was a kind of a disruption in the debates that I was a part of. But very soon, you know, the, the same kind of violence happened in Cape Town with the rape of Fanny Bussan and somehow people were drawing parallels between what happened in India and, and I mean, there were there were a lot of friends who were talking about it, young women, and you know, I think that the kind of public debate here or the the media attention it was there, but it was quite short. And at the same time, I was appointed curator for the gallery space, and it's an amazing intellectual space. And I thought this was the thing we should be working on, you know. And the the title "Woman Object Corpse" is actually part of um, a title of an article I read on a blog called Africa is a Country and I thought these three um, words really put it into perspective. So I wanted to start literally as uh, the, the body being violated instead of, you know, and then, then have uh, different artists perceive this and, and make new work or existing work, you know. Um, a lot of the artists I know internationally and from South Africa have already been engaged in these themes. I had very little time, it was about a month, and I was going away to India. <laughs> but I thought it was it was enough to put something together. And so it, it, I was curating, I mean, I'm putting it together, but it was essentially like with the help of all the, the artists participating, then the nine people who participated, and 
Yeah. Mm. Give us a sense about who is who is participating, because I believe that one of the things is that these artists have worked and will continue to work in the realm of gender-based violence. Yeah. Um, well, there's Toni Stewart from, from Cape Town, and she's a poet and <coughs> much more than that, uh, a performance artist as well. So she... Uh, she did a new piece for the for the exhibition, <coughs> which is a soundscape. So she wrote a new uh, poem called Silence, but she actually stood there performing with uh, a tape in her mouth, and she didn't speak, but it, the, the sound design was kind of a disembodied voice, which is really questioning people in their silence, because if something happens like a rape and people come out, and, you know, you see that for a few days, but you know how you're dealing with it mm-hmm. actually everyone so it was very it was very uh, provocative because you know there were about 150 people in the gallery and she stood there and she's really questioning people on their silence and um as an artist who's uh, originally from the UK but she's lived here for the last 15 years she's also an academic and a scholar Jade Gibson and I'd already seen a video work she'd done which she's used um, plastic toys little toy soldiers and and um and, and dolls but you know, it's it's feeding into uh, gender gender stereotyping, which starts from you know the age of. I mean, you go into the supermarket and what are the kind of toys you see, and it's almost like a music video. It's really jarring. It's in your face, and it, it was installed. Um, it became an installation. We just didn't project it, you know, as 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 a film. It was in the small television, and people were watching it through the screen. So it add a different layer as what you see on the screen. So that was a really powerful piece of work and she, she'd done that earlier. And then there's a Greek artist called Maria uh, Zankau and I thought her piece was really powerful because she, then there were also pieces which bordered onto activism. So you know the, the kind of blurring between art and ac- activism where she'd taken very recent action by the Greek police where you know, the whole economic crisis in Europe and Greece being looked at as uh, they haven't managed to pay their debts. So the, the police went out and, um, and you know, put behind bars 20 homeless women and claimed that they were prostitutes and HIV positive. But they did not only do that, they published full-size pictures of theirs with information like their parents' names and where they come from on, on their official website. And then that was being reblogged. And in and, and March 2013, they were all let out free because none of them were prostitutes and none was HIV, uh, HIV positive. But the thing is, then there was no apology. And, and when I was speaking to Maria, because this was long distance, she said a lot of my friends said, oh, really, we didn't, we didn't know these women weren't prostitutes. But how can, um, how can in the public spin, uh, an authority like the police, you know, do something like that? So there are various artists responding in, in very different ways. There's a collective from Delhi called Jamun and there's a collective of filmmakers and you know, I was talking about the momentum that was being gathered in India but then it became a countrywide thing so in, in the whole country and what they did was um, they made these short films with men and women talking um, it's just a voiceover but you see their faces about how they want to claim back the night, like why should the woman not be allowed to go out at night and it's very beautiful but it, it you know through social media it, they got some you know I mean 100,000 clicks and it went viral on, on the internet but this also fed into the 1 billion rising which was on the 14th of February 
and so there were videos um, so those videos were more like documentation of how in India they used um, dance as, as a way to you know claim back their space claim back the city uh, so it was a flash mob of like thousands of people dancing but uh, they were rehearsing and yeah it, so that was there and mm-hmm. um, there was an artist who's again from the UK and Barbados but she's been living in Cape Town Alberta she uh, made this connection with, with Barbados and the sugarfield canes and how the sugarfield canes were, you know, a site of violence and rape. But she had this uh, very uh, powerful installation in the middle of the gallery space with, with almost also import and export of cargo and like human cargo and women where <coughs> she's in the middle of these sacks and uh, you only see bits of her body parts. But she's covered in molasses which is dripping slowly so it's very visceral it's, you almost feel like and she performed for four hours and, and didn't come out of you know that cocoon of sacks till the very end um, yeah sure. and then you, you, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot going on there and yeah. it sounds and fascinating I haven't even spoken about all the artists you know I mean the, the nine I mean I, I'm, I'm well essentially I'm not a curator but I think these fields overlap I, you know I'm, I'm a video artist, performance artist, um, and installation artist myself. So one of the films I'd worked on, which is a much older piece in 2008, I used to live in London then, but I was really inspired by the work of two surrealist artists called Claude Cahun and Marcel Moore, and uh, they were part of the surrealist movement in Paris, but even that movement being extremely you know, male-dominated, they, they shifted to the island of Jersey. So and they were partners, they were lesbians and half-sisters, and in their quiet where they, they did a lot of work, mostly in photography, looking at gender and identity and uh, androgyny. And so I, I went to, to visit their archives, look at their archives, look at their grave. And um, and also they'd been part of, just very silently, uh, against the Nazis who occupied Jersey then. And they were Jewish women, but they led this kind of you know, resistance movement for three years and very well knowing that if they were caught they'd be sent to a concentration camp. So it's also that kind of interaction of how do you gain strength from people who've already done this before and who back in the in the twenties and early thirties were blurring boundaries between gender and identity. Um yeah, I feel like you're doing a really important thing as well in terms of tapping into these other international stories, artists, experiences. You're putting South Africa sort of into into the global experience because I think we get quite narrow about our own um, experiences of gender-based violence, but actually this is this is a worldwide thing and we need to bring people together. Yeah, really. I mean, and that was my starting point. I, I you know, there would be enough artists, obviously, you know, who, who work in Cape Town, who work in South Africa, but the point was. It's a universal theme, so you can't pin it down to just India or South Africa. I mean, it's happening everywhere. And uh, as a curator, having, you know, um, just a month to put everything together, I started getting in touch with women I already knew who had a body of work, and some of them volunteered, was, you know, inspired by it, so volunteered to make new new work, like Tony. And there was also another artist, I just feel like I don't want to leave anyone out because <laughs> sure, tell us. <laughs> is, um, is so also because it was a fusion of many different mediums. Like I said, you know, I mean, I also thought just documenting the flash mob when in India, like people went out and started dancing, of uh, is is also a piece of artwork. Like I don't, it's creative expression, even though it's <coughs> you know it's fiction. 
there's another artist called Maria Clay who's half Japanese and German but she's come from Brussels and she's been based at the Great Moss Studios in Woodstock and when, when I met Maria she was already working in a body of work called Human uh, Landscape where she was interacting with people and she makes beautiful sculptures but she was working with their leftovers to kind of feel and, and build these sculptures and at that point she'd been working uh, with an upholsterer Lulu in, in Philippi and it just we were just chatting and she said it's funny uh, the, the kind of stories I keep because we work together so Lulu's always talking about you know her interaction with men and, and the you know, and what she's experienced personally. Obviously, the stories weren't exchanged. Like, she'd keep that very private. And, you know, I said, why don't you and Lulu work together on, like, maybe a sculpture? And I think Maria, when she first asked Lulu, she was really shy. But they have these very, uh, yeah, kind of three three sculptures made out of foam because it's it's made out of leftovers of upholstery material. So that's, that's Maria's work. And... Um, and you, you said, you know, you've, you've, you've incorporated different mediums, but you've also touched on different forms of violence as well. Yes, because, uh, I mean, <coughs> the title was, you know, was kind of suggestive. I, I tried to think of different ways to incorporate this violence, from police action to, it is such a, it's such a broad theme, I mean, you know, but how how do you incorporate everything? So I was very open to a lot of work which just made that impression, you know, which was strong enough. And it, it I didn't want it just to be very abstract. When when people associate, you know, artists and presentations and gallery spaces, mm. it it somehow goes into a different realm. And also, a conscious decision was not to get very popular commercial artists whose work has already been seen. Not to say that they're not good, but always they are. I mean, the, the benefit of starting afresh in a gallery in an academic institution is then it, it's linked to debates and seminars and walkabouts. So we did have a very interesting walkabout after the exhibition opening, and so the artists explained their works. And a lot of people came up with suggestions, and they said we should bring a group of young men <laughs> Because Why not? Absolutely. Yeah, because essentially what happens is even in that walkabout, I think there were two guys and about 20 women. And, yeah. So so that's how you worked, because that's what I was going to ask you as well. You spoke about activism there. And, and I wanted to ask you about your belief, you know, why is art important when it comes to a discussion like gender-based violence? And, and how do you want to see this exhibition turned into to action? What have the responses been in terms of that? Yeah. I think art, we somehow land up defining it as quite limited. You know, when people think of art, when they think installation, video art and sculpture, it's more this kind of material exchange. Uh, but for me, something clever as a flash mob of people dancing, just to bring notice to something, is art. You know, activism is art. But it's like, how do you manage to use creative ways in activism? So, you know, just, just to bring attention. And then, then the next step is action. But then if you manage to gather large crowds, then what is the action you're looking for? Are you going to ask the government for certain changes in existing laws? Are you going to ask for more police protection in places? You know, so, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. I see yeah, that being a part of the dialogue. But also with, with this exhibition, I'm very conscious that it can't just stay in a, in a gallery in the University of Cape Town. Then who are the people who are coming and seeing it? 
So we're going to try to uh, definitely make it travel to different places and also keep adding more and more artists or, uh, or groups of activists who propose to do workshops, even like public public workshops or just, um, you know, go, go out of the Cape Town City Bowl as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And responses from audience so far? Well, I've, I did get I did get a few emails. It's really <laughs> funny because you know everyone wrote dear Singh because my email address is Singh dot because obviously that's my surname. But um, they said this needs to be, you know, uh, publicized and advertised in a better way. There's so many people I know who'd like to come and see it. Why don't you just think of you know kind of. I don't know, daily, not newspapers, but the kind of flyers that go around in neighborhoods. Someone said that there's this group in, in Rondebosch and they'd like to come. So it's it's all very overwhelming and very exciting. It's just, I'm also working against limited resources yes, and a very limited team. But, you know, I, the point is to start this, this debate. And for me, it's not about it being successful or unsuccessful. It's the point is like, even if there are 10 people who are, who are interested mm-hmm. That, that that is successful, you know. That's that's yeah. the point, absolutely. And the ex- exhibition is called Women Object Corpse, and it's at the um, at the Centre for African Studies Gallery at UCT, which is the Harry Oppenheimer Institute Building, Engineering Mall, Upper Campus, <laughs> UCT. But the exhibition is on until the 9th of May, yes. I believe, um, and hopefully we'll be seeing it in different parts of the city, if not different parts of South Africa, yes. hopefully. So, Megna, please do keep in touch with us. And I hope scores of people come and see the exhibition. So, thank you very much for being in the studio. Well, that's it from Otherwise Today. Up next, it's the Shop Shop Children's Program with Leon Fisk.